Well, when I was younger, uh, I remember one thing, and it's always having glasses on, on my face. I've been nearsighted since the time I was nine and needing glasses, and I remember the time where I literally cried because I couldn't see the letters on the eye exam, and I needed glasses. Ever since then, I had been so supremely conscious. Oh, I'm, I'm wearing contacts, by the way. <laughs> you know, maybe it just, when I look back at it, I'd rather, you know, not see and look good uh, than rather than see and look nerdy. Now, I've kind of definitely moved on from that part of the journey, but uh, I remember that always being on the forefront of my mind. Like when you're videoed and you're doing a video for school and you don't want to put those glasses on because they make you look nerdy, oh, I was that. And I remember running track in high school. And, you know, because I didn't want my glasses to be seen as a, as a point of weakness, I took it and I tucked it into my gym shorts. That was probably not too smart when you're running 110-meter hurdles. <laughs> not smart, but thankful <laughs> that... Um, that didn't hinder me much. But see, the problem was that I had sights, but I didn't want to use it. I, I was worried about what people would think of me, and so I'd rather not see. And when I did have the opportunity to see, I didn't want to take it because of how I would look. And in our passage today of Scripture, we're going to see that there is a problem with sights. Those who have sight can't see who Jesus really is. They are concerned with how they're going to look. They are concerned that they're going to lose power. They are concerned that people would view them as weak for trusting this itinerant preacher from a nobody town named Jesus. They probably refused to see Jesus as God. And then there were those who didn't have sight, but they could, they could see. They didn't care how they looked to others because they saw Jesus who he was. And this struggle is not unlike our struggle. You may see God's work all around you, but sometimes your sight can be a problem. It can lead you to be physically seeing, right, with your eyes, but spiritually blind. And you'll see also that there's two men who were blind, but yet they were able to see with astounding clarity. We're going to see that. Um, two examples of how our sight can impede us in our passage today. So I invite you to, to, to keep your fingers on Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 to 34. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. We're entering into great drama, heightening drama between Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious authorities at their time. Jesus had just raised the dead girl to life. And immediately after the healing, Jesus goes from there. And you, you would think that Jesus would just stay there and bask in the glory of it all. But it seems that Jesus is more intent on his primary mission, which we'll see. Two men are following Jesus, and he's no doubt hearing the, the reports of, the, of the de this dead girl that was being raised to life. Maybe they had, they had even been there. 
And they might have heard the, the shouts and the screams when that dead girl took this first, her, 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 her first breath of air. But these two blind men may have been friends for a long time, maybe for as long as they've been in the darkness, which is probably for years. Back in those days, blindness was seen as one of the grimmest maladies in the ancient world, seen only second to death. Nonetheless, it was quite common. In fact, it was so prevalent that out of all the diseases that Jesus healed, Jesus healed what? The most. It was blindness. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus drew very um, unhealthy or um, broken people. And if Jesus came, as he said in Matthew chapter 9, that, that he came not to the healthy but to the sick, shouldn't that reflect in his ministry? And if it's the case that the two blind men followed him, right, shouldn't we be happy when people like the blind men follow us, people who are desperate, people who are dark, people who are in need of a Savior? That convicted me because so often when I run across people that I may, may or may not like or maybe they're, they've had some, um, some things going on with them, that they're not pleasant to be around. I, my tendency is to ignore, to turn a, a deaf ear and a blind eye and say, I, I, I don't see them. Yet Jesus shows he has a special compassion for all, but especially for those who are lonely, the sick, the drunkard, the mentally ill, and in this case, those who are perpetually in the dark. And so we have to ask ourselves, oh, body and friends, are, are there anyone following us who are in the dark because they see light in us. If so, maybe we need to update and look back into whether we are walking in the light as we claim. Well, back to the story. It was these same blind men who had more spiritual sight than anyone that day. They cried out with these loud screams, Have mercy on me, son of David. This doesn't sound bad to us. <laughs> But I'm sure if you had that prolonged screaming, and, and I know parents, first-time parents or long-time parents, you, you know the pain of having your kids cry and scream incessantly on and on. I remember Caleb when he was first born, and it was literally that first night in which I saw he had lungs all right. God blessed him with lungs, and he cried all night so bad that the nurses came in. They're like, can we, can we? can we give you a break? <laughs> he was so loud. And I remember those first six months or so was just pure agony, where you're hearing agonizing screaming in, in the, going on in the next room, over the next room, and you're just kind of like, oh my goodness, you're frozen. That's the kind of screaming that they were doing. Huge, over the crowd, and they called Jesus the son of David. Now, they couldn't see Jesus with their physical eyes, but they saw with clarity that this was the Jesus of the Old Testament. This was the Jesus who was the promised deliverer and the prophet Messiah from the Old Testament prophecies that were been prophesied from of old, from Genesis, where the seed of Adam and Eve will one day deliver a death blow to the seed of the serpent, which is Satan, and then fast forward to King David's prophecy in which a descendant of David's would rise up on the throne and he would sit on his throne for eternity upon eternity and establish his reign forever. They knew this Messiah was coming. And his name was Jesus. But they only knew his name. 
again, see him. Willing to be cast out as crazy by the religious establishment, they confessed that Jesus Christ was the one they were waiting for. They were blind, but they had spiritual sight. I mean, isn't it striking that they don't say, Lord Jesus, heal me? Or, hey, Jesus, can you restore our sight? They didn't say that. They said this, have mercy on us, which meant that they knew Jesus supplied a forgiveness that only he could bring. Even in their dress to Jesus, they didn't see Jesus as just a miracle worker ready to give them a LASIK procedure. They saw him as he truly was, Jesus, the Messiah, and they just humbly threw themselves, themselves at, at his feet. So it's not surprising that, and it is actually kind of surprising because when you look at the text, you would think some people with such clarity would just be Boom, just healed on the spot. No, actually, it seems like Jesus delayed. Kind of look at it with me here in the text. But it seems like, you know, Jesus is kind of, is kind of, uh, is waiting. Um, he actually, they have to actually enter the house. And Jesus hadn't even acknowledged the presence of these guys screaming at them. And then when they, Jesus didn't take action, and Jesus, or they came up to Jesus and they said, or, or Jesus turned around squarely and said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Seems a little cold when you've been, you know, you've been screaming at the top of your lungs for the last hour fighting against all these crowds. Yes. But they gave a very simple, yes, Lord. You can tell because they addressed him as Lord, that they had a spirit, perfect vision spiritually. Jesus knew their faith was genuine. And I think Jesus was doing here is that he was drawing them out into a place of public confession, kind of reminiscent of Romans 10, 9 through 11, right? right? Those who publicly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, then they will be saved. And that's what I think Jesus is doing here. And at this moment, the blind men were promising and affirming that Jesus is the promised Messiah and that by this healing, they would, he would prove that he was who he said he was. And they knew that he didn't come just to heal broken bodies, ultimately, but to heal broken sinners. And I love this. Look at the text again. Without any fanfare whatsoever, Jesus basically says one line, according to your faith, be it done to you. Important note, this does not mean that it was in proportion to your faith, as if they suddenly hit like a 10 on their faithometer. You know, and just because they, they were walking and they were persisting and, the, and that they had some kind of degree of faith that just kind of finally catapulted it over the edge. This is actually meaning that, that, that they have just put their faith in Jesus. May your faith, as you've put your faith in Jesus, may your faith be granted to receive sight. So close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. And picture yourselves in their shoes. The only thing you know is darkness. And suddenly a light bursts, comes through. Your eyes are shining, and it's suddenly opened. And you're flooded with a strange glow, and it's light. And immediately Jesus' face appears before you. It's not unlike anything you've ever seen before and ever hoped to be, but you've, you've seen Jesus, and you know that you're looking into the Messiah. Yet his face is stern. 
And he tells you this. See that no one knows about it. You can open your eyes. Why would Jesus say that? Was it truly because he wanted the blind men to never share about what had happened to him and pretend it never happened? No. If you're blind and then you're suddenly walking around and you're not walking around with a guide or with a, with a cane, of course, people are going to be like, man, something big has happened to you. <laughs> you're going to tell me about it? More likely, it's probably that Jesus, he just didn't want to stir up the crowds prematurely. This is a secrecy motif. And you ask, why? Well, this was called what theologians call the messianic secret. And we see this theme in chapter 8, verse 4, and chapter 12, verse 16, and chapter 16 and 20, when Peter finally acknowledges Jesus as the Christ. It was just this, that Jesus did not want to keep his identity revealed um, until the fullness of time, so that it would not shortcut or short-circuit his real mission to be broadcast to the nations that he was going to come to bring forgiveness of sin. It was to make sure that the crowds don't get the wrong idea and miracles, as good as they are, will confirm Jesus who as the King and Messiah, but he didn't want them to focus on the miracles only. Nor did he want them to think that he was a political uh, king and that he wanted to be crowned as king of Israel in a political sense. It was to focus that Jesus' primary mission is that he came to forgive sin and to reconcile people with God. If you just got healed, though, <laughs> and you had not seen for the entirety of your life, would you listen? <laughs> To be honest, I'm not sure if I would listen. I'm probably with the blind men that I'd be really happy to break with the news and be the first one to break with that. You know, and I'm, so, I'm kind of with the blind men. They're like, hey, guys, you went away and you spread his fame throughout all the district. You thought you were doing a, a privilege or a blessing to Jesus. But here's the surprising thing, though. Well, we talked about how miracles here are a confirmation of Jesus' divinity and his identity. And we come, we're excited about God moving in a powerful way. Just today, as, as he moved in the first century scriptures, we are excited to see that he's the same God that moves today. And we might be tempted to see this as a classic textbook case of, oh man, well, your life has been changed, so you know this is a story on how to evangelize. We have to realize this, that these two men disobeyed Jesus. They had just gotten done with saying, Lord, we believe, but when it came to a somewhat easy command to not tell anybody about it, their sight didn't guarantee obedience. Their faith was immature. They were so amazed that they received sight, they did whatever they felt they wanted to do. And as understandable as it is, it was wrong. And even though they celebrated Jesus throughout their district, this contributed to the opposition growing among the religious leaders. And the undue intention could have completely like just taken out Jesus' ultimate mission to die on the cross for sinners. And so what we see is that sight doesn't guarantee obedience. That's why I think Jesus, in the text, it says he was stern or he told them sternly. And also he was on the move. Let's take a look at our second part. A second um, story in verse 32 to 34. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. 
And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demon, demons by the prince of demons. One of the maybe just handful of times in which I have dealt with a demonized man was a few years ago. And it was actually in my church office in my um, former church. And I had some training in the seminary. But I, I wouldn't say I had a lot of spiritual tools in the tool belt. If, if any case, actually, think when, I, when that happened, I think I was kind of hit with like a, oh, man. <laughs> um, what do I do? <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> um, and I had no idea kind of really how to do, but I just said, God, please help me. I need your help. And I think I just dived in. And you could really tell that the satanic oppression um, was really preventing this guy from speaking because uh, before, when I first met him, we were cleaning out his house um, because it had been damaged in Harvey. And he was just like a total, you know, like outgoing, talkative guy, but a complete change just came over him. In my office, he was like mute. He was like almost to a whisper. I could not even hear him. And it was almost like I had to lean forward to kind of figure out what he was saying. And, you know, as I was praying for him, it just seemed like the, de- the demonization was just restraining him from speaking. And this is like what was going on with this demonized man. This word demonizomai means that he was suffering from demon oppression. He was being demonized. The demon was making this man totally mute. So when this man is brought to him, it's incredible to me that all that is said is this. And when the demon was cast out, then the man spoke. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? It's like, man, if you wanted more details on the subject of demon exorcism, <laughs> that's where you want to get it, right? <laughs> like, Jesus, what did you say? And Jesus, what did you do? And Jesus, how did you cast out this demon? And did he, like, levitate and all that kind of stuff? Um, uh, and you're just kind of like, whoa, <laughs> And it's just written in a very, like, about it form. Like, hey, when the demon was cast out, it was more important almost that the mute man spoke. (laughs) Right? But I think it shows God's supernatural work. And the crowd's tongues were just hanging open. For the first two blind men, now this. The dead are raised, the blind are healed, the mute speak. This is perfectly in tune with the Old Testament. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. That's why they exclaimed, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But then sight doesn't guarantee belief. These people were witness to the great miracles of their generation. These were unprecedented acts in Israel and indeed all of history. If you have the opportunity to lay eyes on a healing like that, the crowd would just marvel because they were just overcome with awe blown away, but they did not have faith. They had fear, not just faith. They were amazed, but not committed. And their amazing amazement did not give them any traction of faith in their hearts. And that's a scary thing. Because you can come face to face with the power of Almighty God, and you can see Jesus heal people with your physical eyes. But that does not guarantee that you're going to submit to him. You may be nearly taken out in a car accident, and you miraculously survive and leave the doctors scratching their heads, and you have been saved from a car crash, but does that mean you're being saved from sin? Sadly, no. 
You're saved from sin when you submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we should be praying for miracles. Oh, we want to see that. We want to see that as elders, pastors, and just people who are walking with Jesus. We want to see powerful works of the living God. I know that in home groups the other day, I was so encouraged because somebody was sharing uh, their story of a miraculous healing that happened in their life. Seeing miracles definitely strengthen our faith, but they don't substitute for our faith. Miracles, they don't guarantee belief, but they help us gravitate toward belief. And we are called to put our faith in Jesus Christ ultimately. However, the Pharisees' response gives an ominous tone, as you see here, as the miracles did not govern their response, the crowd's belief and commitment to Jesus, so, so too with the Pharisees. You know what they did? They basically just said, explained it away. They, they, they refused to see that God can work through this way, through this person, and their sight led to unbelief because they thought they were protecting the church and also the people themselves. In reality, they were leading people to eternal destruction. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you explain things away when it was clearly the work of God? And I remember a time in which somebody spoke to me and she had a word for me and she said, don't put God in a box. And I was polite at that time, but I sneered in my mind. I'm like, who is she that she said this to me? And I reasoned this lady probably fell into some theological error. I, I, and, and, and I explained the way, the power of God, when in truth and reality, I probably needed to hear it. And God needed to humble my pride. And that's the problem with physical sight. Physical sight can only go as far um, as that. We are spiritually nearsighted. And in 21st century American, we are also prone to a naturalistic worldview that denies the work of the supernatural. It scoffs at the existence of things like miracles because we only see and believe what our eyes can see and test and our hands can touch. So what guarantees obedience and faith. Well, ultimately, it's the power of God that guarantees faith and obedience. Seeing Jesus as who he is, as not just the miracle worker, but the messianic savior, and then with all of our lives responding to his infinite worth. Because you see, the Bible tells the story of all man's stories in that we were once designed with a perfect design relationship with God. But we sinned and we messed up that relationship with God, bringing eternal separation between us and God and us and others. And there was this huge chasm that we could not cross. And only to his laws and his good commands, and he stepped into death and he exchanged our lives for his. Our sins were forgiven and it's forgiven by our trust in Jesus. And see, it is, it is responding to that miracle in faith, in worship, and gratitude that guarantees our faith and obedience. When you say yes to follow Jesus in a love relationship, you're giving rise to a greater miracle than the world has ever seen. You are living the miracle of regeneration in which you have been spiritually reborn. Isn't that crazy that when you believed in the word of Christ, your eternal destiny has changed. Not only that, you are given the gift of the kingdom, all the gifts of the kingdom of God. You're given life, but so much more. You're given citizenship in heaven. You're given friendship with God. 
You're given the Holy Spirit as the guarantee. You're given uh, the right to be a co-heir with Christ. You're able to hear his voice, and you're able to enjoy sweet communion with him, whether you're living 10 years or 100 years. So the next time your sight blocks you, the next time you grow weary from the brokenness of this world, of unrepentant sin or the latest church pastor being disqualified from ministry due to moral failure or to church conflict or to coronavirus, meditate on the miracle that your life is hidden with God and he is in you. Amen? Amen? Refuse to be spiritually nearsighted. Don't take off your glasses and be content to see the fuzzy images when you have the lenses of the kingdom and pray that God will take you farther than your eyes can see. There are some of us, we've taken off our spiritual glasses because of fatigue and we are so tired. We are exhausted. You've seen God move powerfully in your life, but you are tired and you're faithless and even you're unbelieving of trusting God. And we got to ask him to break those chains of unbelief and break those chains of faithful, faithlessness. And we've got to ask God to open the eyes of our hearts so that we would know the hope to which he has called you, Ephesians 1.18. It was such a joy that the elders got to pray with um, Judy Moise. And for a lot of us covenant members, we know what she's been going through for the past two, three, over ten surgeries. And they communicated with us as we visited them how it's been so hard. It's been so long in this season to go through enduring pain for years. And she went through another surgery coming up uh, last week, just this past week, and uh, to do a small incision and to remove a cyst and see it was infected. And so before that, we got to, uh, Jake Grant and I, we got to anoint her as elders with oil and prayed and just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Just out of desperation, God, heal them because they are asking with, we are asking, how long are they going to suffer? And we just sensed that God wanted us to pray for healing. And one of us sensed that she had climbed a mountain. She had literally climbed a real mountain, Mount Kilimanjaro. And she told us that it took six days. And it takes maybe a, year, uh, a day and a half to, to come down. And just as an encouragement, one of the elders just sensed, I need to encourage you all that you're getting close to the summit. But it takes a lot, lot shorter to get down. And just this past weekend, we saw a miracle that the sister was removed and there is no signs of affection that we can see. Praise God, right? She's still in pain. She needs our prayers. But we praise God that that God who heals is still healing today. And he's still moving in our body. He's still moving throughout the world. And he's still advancing the kingdom of God. Amen? And he's still moving. And he wants to bring a fresh gifting and fresh sight to those who sees it. So as you stand, I want to invite the music and the prayer team to come forward. And I just want to ask you, how is your spiritual eyesight lately? Maybe you've been praying for a miracle and it's been so long that you're tempted to take off your glasses and you're walking by sight where you need to walk by faith in God's power. And I implore you to come to prayer. Come forward to prayer as we normally do, that God would just enlarge your hearts and help you to see him and help you to move toward faith in obedience. Some of you all needing a miracle tonight. We want to pray for that. It would be a joy to pray for God to, to speak in. And we just ask that you slip on your mask and we just ask that one man not pray alone with one woman. So let's really ask God to move in this time as we come. So I want to invite the prayer team 
to come and also as our music team comes forward. Father, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for moving in great power. Thank you, God. Lord Jesus, you are still the God of the scriptures. You're still the God who heals today. You're still the God who brings forgiveness of sin. And you're still God moving and want to move with us, Lord. As we go through this time, Lord, we pray that you would open our spiritual eyesight. That if some of us are tired or exhausted, that we would come quickly for prayer. If some of us are fatigued and just needing somebody to to pray fresh life into us, that we would also pray. Lord, if there's anyone who needs a miracle tonight, even the miracle of salvation, that they would come quickly for prayer. Thank you. We pray that you would move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Come forward.